Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. For those in the room and joining online as well, we're happy to have you here during week 11 of our reopening plan. I was just thinking this morning that we were closed for 11 Sundays, and this is now our 11th Sunday of having services again. Hard to believe how time flies, but here we are. Now, we spent the past two Sunday mornings reading 1 Timothy chapters 2 and 3, discussing the nuts and bolts of how believers are called to behave within the church, the household of God. By God's grace, followers of Jesus, those who are justified by faith in Christ's broken body and shed blood on the cross for our sins, we have been called together into a family of forgiven and redeemed children and servants of God. And as sons and daughters of God, and as brothers and sisters to each other, we are expected, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in a new and different way than we did before we believed. We pursue sound doctrine and reject false teaching. We pray for all people. We compliment each other as men and women. And we look for and submit to godly and competent leaders. And this household of God, this whole operation, the church, it all revolves around Jesus. The one who, in Paul's words at the end of last week's sermon, 1 Timothy 3.16, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Everything we do here at this church, everything within this household of God revolves around Jesus and is all for his glory. But today, Paul shifts away from the logistics of church life and focuses his attention back on Timothy. We mentioned back in chapter one that much of this book is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus through Timothy. This letter is addressed to Timothy, the individual, but Paul is also using it to speak to the entire church that Timothy is serving. But as we pick up in chapter four, Paul addresses Timothy directly, the man he handpicked to write the ship in Ephesus, his true child in the faith. So what exactly does Paul tell Timothy and what might that teach us today? So open up to first Timothy chapter four, verse one. We encourage you to follow along no matter where you are. But before we do any reading. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. And after so many months away back in the spring, thank you that we've had these past 11 weeks to gather in this room, to live stream all the resources that have been put into that. And Lord, we ask for your continued protection and your continued guidance for us. Uh, We've made it this far, and Lord, we ask you to continue to watch over us, and by your grace, and by your mercy, and by your power, give us peace, give us good health. We ask that you allow us to continue worshiping you here. And Lord, thank you for your word that we have to read today. I pray that we would never take it for granted, 
even though we all have Bibles, even though we've probably all read portions, if not all of the Bible, I pray that your word would never grow stale to us. That would say much more about the state of our own hearts than it would about the power of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would never get tired of hearing your word. And Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the one who makes us your children, who makes us your servants. We thank you for your grace. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Starting in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Paul introduced the false teachers in Ephesus back in chapter 1, but here we learn some important additional details about them. The first thing, and this is worth stressing, we've said it before, these teachers are deliberately false. The false teachers that Timothy's dealing with are not well-intentioned, but naive. They're not new believers who just need a little bit of guidance, a little bit of teaching. Paul says they are insincere liars. He even accuses them of being devoted to demons. They are knowingly rebellious. They are deliberately false. And it's good to know that because that explains why Paul is so hard on them. That's why he pulls no punches. That's why he went so far as publicly calling them out by name at the end of chapter 1. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, looking to harm God's flock. They are robbers trying to ransack God's household. Now surely Paul would love to see them repent of their sin and return to the truth. But until they do that, Paul gives these deliberately false teachers no quarter. These verses also tell us more about the content of the false teaching that they are presenting, which, as we said in previous sermons, can be hard to get a good hold on. When it comes to marriage and food, they are referred to as ascetics. An ascetic is someone who denies or neglects or refuses a physical comfort or need in hopes that doing so will make them more spiritual. When you hear the word ascetic, you might picture some old saint who moved off and lived in a cave and slept on rocks and didn't have any clothes and intentionally starved themselves because they thought that would make them more holy. That's who these people are. Now, this may have sprung out of some early Gnostic beliefs, the idea that anything physical, anything material is bad. It may come out of a poor understanding of the Old Testament law, because there are some laws about food in there. Or it may have even been some bizarre and misguided attempt to return to the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. 
a world where there was no formal marriage and people did not eat meat. But whatever the source is, these teachings are wrong. And whoever these people are, these false teachers are hypocritical. And no matter how you slice it, the ideas that they are spreading are harming the spiritual well-being of God's people. They are sullying the reputation of the church in the world around it. But Paul gives Timothy and gives us a good reminder in verse 1. The presence of false teachers should not come as a surprise. It shouldn't come as a surprise. Paul warned the church in Ephesus about this back in Acts chapter 20. He brings up the same false teachers again in 2 Timothy. And Titus, a man who was in a similar situation as Timothy, had his own false teachers to deal with. Paul had to address false teachers in some of the other books that he wrote. Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, just to name a few. False teachers were a constant problem throughout Paul's long and storied ministry career. We read about false teachers in 1 John 2, where John calls them antichrists. Peter and Jude deal with them in their letters as well. And before his death and resurrection, Jesus himself warned the apostles about false Christs who would arise after he was gone. The point is pretty clear. Timothy should not be surprised that false teachers are lurking around and trying to lead God's people into destruction. This is nothing new. It's nothing unique. It was a problem long before Timothy. There were plenty of false prophets in the Old Testament, too. And false teaching will be a problem long after Timothy is gone. He shouldn't be surprised by this. But Timothy, the man facing these significant challenges in Ephesus, even with false teachers all around him, he shouldn't get too discouraged when they don't go away overnight. He shouldn't beat himself up too much if the church that he's serving still occasionally falls for their tricks. And he certainly should not allow these false teachers to throw him off course from what he knows to be true. Now, their teaching might not look the same as that in First Timothy, but false teachers are still around today. And they are just as much of a threat for you as they are for these Christians. They're just as much a threat for me as they are for these believers in Ephesus. There are false teachers who insist that as long as we believe the right things in our heads, then it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. There are false teachers who convince us that all God cares about is that we be nice to each other and feel happy. There are false teachers who tell us that God will heal all of our physical ailments if we just have enough faith. That God will make us rich if we just say the right words with enough confidence. And the proper attitude. Or there are false teachers who take the short route and flat out deny core basic truths of the Bible. They deny Jesus' virgin birth. His identity is fully God and fully man. 
His atonement on the cross for our sins, his physical resurrection from the dead, his future return, or the authority of scripture that teaches all of it. We shouldn't be surprised that even now, some 2,000 years after Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, that we're still dealing with false teachers. This really shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't make us second-guess our calling. We shouldn't be overly discouraged. We shouldn't question the legitimacy of our faith, and we should not be led astray. In verse 1, Paul wrote about the later times that false teachers would come. Well, anything after Jesus' resurrection, but before his return, a.k.a. right now, that can be considered, in some sense, later times. Some would call them the last days. And in these last days, the battle against false teaching rages on. Until Jesus returns, false teachers will continue to give the church, the household of God, trouble. Satan, the one who is the real source of false teaching, whether those who fall for it realize it or not, he will not give up easily. The false teachers are here to stay, whether we like it or not. So if false teachers are just a fact of life, this side of heaven, this side of Christ's return for Timothy and for Paul and churches in Ephesus and churches like ours and Christians like us, then how should we respond to their ever-present threat? Well, Paul gives Timothy some good words of guidance in verses 6 through 16. Sometimes people read these verses as a kind of pastor's job description. And that's all well and good. A pastor would be wise to heed the advice that Paul gives Timothy here. But these verses don't just apply to pastors or elders or deacons. They can be helpful to every single believer. Chapter 4, picking up in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
So how does Paul tell Timothy to respond to the faithlessness that seems to surround him, both from the false teachers themselves and those led astray? Well, Timothy is challenged to respond to others' faithlessness with his own faithfulness. Timothy should not negotiate with the false teachers. He should not compromise his own doctrinal integrity or his Christian maturity. He should not meet them halfway or try to draw up a truce. Instead, Paul instructs Timothy to double down on the truth of the gospel in a world full of lies. Timothy should commit himself to godliness, even if the entire world around him is full of godlessness. He should keep toiling and keep striving toward the promise of eternal life, the reward secured for him by Christ. In his age of faithlessness, Timothy is called to pursue faithfulness. He's called to never give up and never give in, no matter what's happening around him. But practically speaking, how does Timothy go about doing that? How do we do that in our day and age, in our church? What does faithfulness look like when so many around us are faithless? Well, based on the verses we just read, a few pieces of guidance. Number one, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. The false teachers loved silly myths, endless genealogies, new and different doctrines, speculations, vain discussion, debates. They were the kinds of people who loved missing the forest because they were looking at the trees. And that's how they slowly found themselves drifting. They got distracted. But Timothy and all of us are instructed to have a kind of tunnel vision when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Once we know what the truth is, we are to pursue it relentlessly. Like the men of Matthew 13 who found treasure in a field or a pearl of great price and sold everything they had to get it, not swerving to the right or to the left because that was all they cared about. Once you know the right way to go, don't let anything knock you off that course. Stay focused on the truth. Don't get tempted or distracted by what is false. As Paul tells the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Focus on the truth. Do not take your eyes off of the truth because everything else will let you down. So number one, don't get distracted. Number two, know the truth. 
Teach the truth. Live out the truth. Again, this doesn't just go for church leaders. It goes for all of us. You may not be a pastor or an elder or a deacon, but every single believer in Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might know the truth, teach the truth, and live out the truth of the gospel. Your faithfulness to sound doctrine, your personal example of godliness, will have an impact on your fellow believers, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends. In a world of faithlessness, someone who knows the truth, someone who teaches the truth, someone who actually lives out the truth, that person will not go unnoticed. And then finally, Paul instructs Timothy to place high value on Scripture. Timothy was called to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. If your church isn't giving you that, if your church is not faithfully preaching from the Bible, if your church is not biblically discipling you, if your church is not growing you in the faith, giving you every opportunity and every resource to grow in your knowledge of the truth and live it out, then you need to find a church that will. Better late than never. Scripture is where we find the truth of sound doctrine. It's where God tells us how to live in light of the people he has declared us to be. If faithfulness is what we're after, we can't do it apart from a devotion to God's word. And by the way, that's not just on Sunday morning. Now, of course, faithfulness will not be easy for Timothy. And it will not be easy for us either. The false teachers would probably give Timothy problems. And they'll do the same thing for us. They are alive and well. Those we once counted as brothers and sisters in Christ can, and sometimes will, be led astray. And they may even be those we love most. Our parents, our siblings, our children. But Paul's guidance to Timothy is to pursue faithfulness, even when those around you are faithless. You can't stop or confront or correct every false teacher. You can't prevent every single believer you know from falling for deception. But by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do what God has called you to do. You can be faithful because Jesus is faithful and you've been united to him by faith. He can preserve you. He can sustain you and he can guard you. Again, don't be surprised when false teachers come around. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't follow them. Devote yourself to practice Immerse yourself in, persist in the gifts, the commands, the callings that God has given you for your good and for his glory. In a world of faithlessness, toil and strive for faithfulness with the confidence that God can and will see you through to the end. 
And that at the end of the day, your faithfulness, your godliness, your worship, your obedience, even when it wasn't always easy, even when it wasn't always popular, it will be worth it. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help to sustain us and preserve us and strengthen us to be faithful. Again, like Timothy, like the believers in Ephesus, we live in a world of mixed messages. We live in a world of competing arguments. We live in a world of endless information. And some of it's true and some of it's not. And so, Lord, I ask that you would guard us and protect us from the teachings, the ideas, the people who would lead us astray. I pray that you would protect us not just from the temptations outside of us, but from the temptations within us. That even now, even as believers in Christ, we still have sin within us. We still find ourselves prone to wander. We still find ourselves looking to the other side where we think the grass is greener, but Lord, remind us that it isn't. Keep us on the straight and narrow of your truth, of sound doctrine, of godliness. Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful in the day when your son returns. I pray that you would empower us and embolden us and deepen our resolve to pursue the truth and know the truth and live out the truth even when it seems to be so rare around us. And I pray that in so doing, we would shine your light like a lighthouse, and I pray that we would bring you glory. We love you, we praise you, we ask this all in Christ's name.